I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be transformed, sorry, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You please be seated. Okay, let's pray again together. Our Lord and our God, we do marvel when we think of your wisdom in creating the church. Lord, calling a people from every tribe and tongue and nation from all kinds of of different backgrounds. Lord, from all kinds of different sins. You have called us in repentance and faith to holy communion. Lord, with you and with each other with you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we consider this this idea of what it means to be a part of your church, to be a member of your church, Lord, we pray that you would help us all to examine our hearts in, in accordance with what your scripture teaches us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to love and to serve each other and to participate together for the building of your church. Amen. Well, why did you come here this morning? Maybe you came here to listen to a sermon, or maybe you, you came here to see your friends, or maybe you came here to sing 
hymns or, or whatever reason you, you came here this morning, we need to examine the reasons why we gather together as a church in the name of Christ and make sure that our ideas of our responsibility and involvement in the church line up with what God's word teaches about what it means to be a part of God's church. So whether you came here this morning of your own free will or whether you were, were dragged here by your parents or by a spouse, you're here this morning in God's providence to hear this message in Providence Baptist Church. First of all, I really want to remind us all that we're not really meeting in a church now, I understand that that's the, the common usage that we will refer to the church as the building, but let me ask you this. If we decided to sell this building and move to another location and say we sold this building to uh, an architectural firm and the architectural firm, even if they, even if they, they kept the, these trappings, if they kept the pews and the pulpit and the, the baptistry, it would cease to be a church because the church will have left the building. You are the church. The, the body of Christ is the church. So when we think about the word church, it would be helpful, I believe, to, to look at, at the way that the Bible uses the word church. The, the, and I, you know, I don't normally go into, into Greek, but I, I think it's, it's helpful here that the, the Greek word is, is ekklesia, which, which means assembly or gathering. Now, there's some people that, that focus on the, the, the aspects of the word that say that it means called out, but, but really that's, that's not, you, you can't really gather that from, from the, this usage because the word ekklesia was actually used in more broadly hundreds of years before it was used to apply to the body of Christ. And what it generally referred to in, in the, the more of the, the broad literature, it referred to, to city-states or, or what it meant to belong to a city-state. It referred to members of a city-state. And so in, in the ancient Near East, you had, so Rome was a city-state. Corinth was a city-state. We didn't have the idea of nationalism like we have today. And so to be part of the ecclesia was to be be a member of the city-state. The first time that Jesus used that, that word was in the passage that we read for the children earlier in Matthew chapter 16. So it would be helpful if you'd turn with me in your Bible, please, to, to that passage once again. To Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 to 20. Let's explain to the children that, this, that what's being said here that, that is that this is the confession by Simon Peter that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the son of the living God. 
And Jesus then blesses Peter by saying, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the, the name Peter was given to him by Jesus, which is uh, his name was Petros, which means a stone, and so it's, it's kind of a, a, almost a play on words that, that, he, that he is the one who'd be making this profession, but, but Peter was not the foundation. Peter is not the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. The foundation is, is Jesus Christ, and then the, he's the cornerstone. It's built then on the law and the prophets, on the scriptures. And, and Peter then, in making this, this testimony of who Jesus was, was really laying a foundation of the truth of God's word. And so the, this idea of, of the keys is an authority that is given to the church. And you can see this by the, the way that Jesus uses the same phraseology in just two chapters later in, in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. Talking there about church discipline that we're going to be talking about in a, in a couple of weeks' time. But again, I want you to notice the authority that has been given to the church. And, and you, you know this passage. It's if, you're, if your brother sins against you, first go alone. And if he, if he, does it, if he, if he repents, great, you've won your brother, praise God. But if he doesn't repent, then you, you take one or two others as witnesses and then goes to the point where you take him before the church. If he refuses to, to listen to the church, then look at, at verse um, verse 17, if, you, if, you, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Let him be to you as an unbeliever. Again, we'll talk about this in two weeks' time, but, but what the church is saying there is that we do not believe based on this person's behavior or, or their doctrine that this person is truly part of the church. And then they hear the authority same words as, as Jesus used two chapters prior. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So that passage there, that verse 20, is not saying that, that when you have a prayer meeting with, with two other people, Jesus is there. We're talking here about authority, the authority that has been given to the church. And so in order to, to have that kind of authority, it's very important to be able to know who is a part of the church and who is not a part of the church. And that's why, why having a right understanding of baptism, we believe, is so important because baptism is, is one of the, the two ordinances that have been given to the church to identify whether this person is a Christian or not. When somebody goes into that baptistry and, and goes under the water and comes out again, what, what they're really saying is that they're unified with Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection. It's a very important testimony it's very important to understand what baptism really means, what it was given to the church to be. 
And why you can understand then also why it is so important to us as Baptists that we have a right understanding of baptism and how it relates to church membership. Now, I just want to say very clearly that, that we do not, we're not saying here that if somebody is, who um, holds to pedo baptism, we're not saying that, that we believe that they're, that they're unbelievers. Okay, we're not saying that at all. They have a, have a different understanding of, of what the meaning of that, that ordinance, or they would probably say sacrament is, as far as membership in the covenant community. But, but because of who we are as Baptists, we believe that, that these things of baptism and membership go hand in hand. Because we're identifying who, who, who we are and the, the, really the, the boundaries of, of this local church, as far as the membership of this local church. So when we think of, of, of the church then, coming back to the idea of, of citizenship in a, in a city-state, it points to a helpful metaphor for the church in a, an embassy. The, the church is, is in, in some regards, really like an embassy. Jonathan Lehman talks about this in his little book, um, Church Membership, and, and I, would, I would really commend that book to you. But, but he defines an embassy as an institution that represents one nation inside another nation. And you can see why this is a helpful illustration because the embassy there as a representative of their home nation has the interests of their home nation in mind. And so the, so the embassy, the, the, the American embassy in Ottawa is not primarily, does not primarily exist to, to uh, further Canadian ambitions and, and Canadian goals, but to represent American goals in the foreign country. So you can see that, that for us as a church, for us as a church, we represent the interests of heaven. As even though we live here in this world, we are not citizens of the world. We are citizens of another world, of another country, a greater country. And so we represent, as, as an embassy, the church represents heaven on earth. But it also protects the citizens of the home nation. And so if you, if you as, a, as a Canadian, are traveling overseas and, and you get robbed and lose your passport, where are you going to go? To the embassy, to, to seek help. In fact, if it, it, in many different ways, if you're, if you're severely injured, what, what will happen is probably a, um, you're stuck in hospital, very likely a representative, in, a, in a, the more serious incidents anyway, a, a representative from the embassy will actually come and see you and represent your interests and try to help you. And so again, the church is, is a, the church protects, the church protects its members protect citizens of the kingdom. And, and one of the other things that, that an embassy does is the embassy has the authority to, as I said, if you get your passport stolen, the embassy has the authority to be able to issue you another passport. This is really one of the things that they were going to be focusing on here, that, that, that the passport says that this is a member of that nation and the the passport that the the church then ta then has is what we talked about it with Matthew 18 to say that we, the church affirms that this person is a Christian 
In my travels, I have met a, a vast number of people who profess faith in Christ. So many people who profess faith in Christ. But a large portion of those people believe a different gospel. A large portion of those people who testify to belonging to the church are not really part of the church. Do you understand that you as an individual do not have the authority to say you are a Christian? You do not have that authority. The authority is given to the church. Because the church is actually the, the, the guardian of the truth of the gospel. And the truth is really the guardian of your, uh, the church is the, is the guardian of your soul. To, to say that, 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 well, if you're professing to be a Christian and you're, you're living life like a pagan, you can't, you, these two things don't go together. And so the, so the church then has the authority. It's been given the keys that we talked about, the keys to the kingdom. This is very, very important for us to understand. And again, you see why it is so important that we have a right understanding of what it means to be a part of the local church. And so the church identifies a, a Christian as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven through baptism. Now, again, there's times that, that, that I believe that the, the church is going to get that wrong. Even the apostles got it wrong, I believe, when they, when they baptized Simon the sorcerer. And when Peter condemns him, saying, saying your money perish with you, I, I don't believe, I could be wrong on this, but my interpretation of that passage is that Simon the sorcerer wasn't saved. But I think the church can also get church discipline wrong. That, that a church can, can say that, that, that they believe that somebody is not a Christian, but then that person will eventually, that through part of that process, they will repent and come back to faith and so prove that they were, were a Christian. So that the church doesn't have, have the infallible authority to, to say yes or no. But the church has been given the key. So again, coming back just to, to that word, um, ecclesia. Uh, of the word 100, of the word that is used 110 times, in the New Testament, 110 times. 90 refer to the local church. 90 refer to, to individual local churches. And 27, the remaining 27 refer to the universal church. And that's another important distinction. The, the local church versus the universal church. Let me just define these terms. When somebody truly becomes a Christian, they join the universal church. And by the universal church, I mean, I mean that, that worldwide church cutting across nations, across time, across denominational boundaries. This, is the, 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 this involves everyone who is truly in the church. And it's, it's also uh, that that church is really invisible because we, we don't know what the true boundaries are. Of the, of the universal church. There, there are those who, who profess faith, um, in, who have a real faith in Christ in, in Roman Catholic and, and Eastern Orthodox churches that, that preach a different gospel. So, so there's people who are part of, of, 
groups of people that are not true churches, but are themselves true Christians. Likewise, there's, there's people who are, are part of real gospel preaching churches who, who are not genuinely saved. So, so we can't tell what the, the boundaries are, and so we call it the invisible church. The invisible church, excuse me, the invisible church. Well, the, the next part is the, is the, the local church, and, and here, the, it's, hopefully it's, it's more visible. Okay, we're talking here in, in gospel preaching churches, where, where people, individuals who have covenanted together to, to meet together and worship God together in individual local churches. And again, not, not every person who is, is broadly considered to be part of the church is truly part of the church, but, but they meet as a local body. And so Providence Baptist Church is a local church. Grace Baptist Church is a local church. Grace Reformed Church is a local church. Many other churches around the city are, are, constitute local churches, the Ephesian church was another local church. The Corinthian church, another. So, so there's individual churches that, that are individual local churches that make up part of the universal church. And so baptism and the Lord's Supper, as we saw last week, are, are, are two ordinances that, that would, would are, that are, they're two ordinances or some would say sacraments of the local church. As we explained last week, there these, these two things you, you can't do anywhere but in the local church. The, the church has been given authority to baptize and to, to, to use the emblems of the Lord's Supper. They're part of the ministry of the local church, and, and both are a visual representation of the fact that somebody is part of the, the universal church. So a couple of weeks ago when, when Warren and, and Tony and Becky were, were baptized here, what, what they were saying is that they were identifying themselves with the universal church. But then when they, they in the following week, they, they took out membership and so they were identifying themselves with this local church. So I hope you see the distinction between those two terms. And remember, the vast majority Almost 90% of the, the times that the scriptures refer to the church, it's referring to local churches, to local churches. Now, so when, when we talk about, about people coming together as part of, of a local church, the, the term that, that you will hear used here and, and used here increasingly is, is covenant. That, that people are, that Christians are coming together, they're covenanting together to form this local church. And, and this, is, this word covenant is, is, is very intentional because of what it represents in Scripture. It, it, it's a solemn, mutual commitment before God. That's what a covenant is. In the same way, marriage is a covenant. So I think it'd be helpful probably to, to look at, at this picture of the covenant of marriage and see how it relates and some similarities and dissimilarities to, to the local church. When a man and a woman get married, they are making a covenant together with each other, but also with God. In fact, they're ultimately making a covenant with God. 
They've made a solemn vow to the Lord to, to love, honor, and cherish their spouse till death do us part. So God has joined them together in a one flesh relationship. And separation because of, of anything other than death involves a fracture of that covenant. And not just a fracture of that covenant with each other, but a fracture of their covenant with God. But even if they divorce, from my understanding of God's word that, that God still views them as married. And, and uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined, let not man separate. That is an imperative. What God has joined, man must not separate. God does not divorce his people. Jesus died to win his bride. And so the, the church is, is a, a marriage is meant to be a reflection of the gospel. So that's why Paul refers to the profound mystery of marriage as referring to Christ and the church because, because of the, that union is a picture of the eternal relationship between Christ and his true bride, a relationship that will never end. And so the concept then of church membership is, is similar to, to that of marriage in a, in, a, in a positive sense and also in a negative sense. Well, let's look at the, the negative sense first. We live in an age of consumerism. People want something and they go and they get it. You can buy whatever you want from a car to furniture to a computer with, with no money down and no interest for an extended period of time. It's consumerism with no commitment. And this attitude is, has crept into our relationships as well. Men and women move in together with no commitment. What they're really saying is that they're, they're holding out. Maybe just in case something better comes along, I can get out. Or if, if things get too hard, I've, I've got a back door. It's consumerism with no commitment. But eventually, if, if couples do get married, still quite often in our culture, it's still consumerism with no commitment because they can get a divorce with no money down and no interest for an extended period of time. In fact, it's far easier in our culture to get out of a marriage than it is to get out of a car contract. And this consumerism that has infected people's understanding of marriage has also infected many people's understanding of the church. When consumers go to church, they're content just to sit back and, and to receive at, at least some of, of what is, is on offer without putting anything positive back. And what happens then when they, they see something that, that they don't like Rather than being a part of the, of the solution, they complain about it. And they add to the problem. Or they leave, also adding to the problem. It's so much easier to do that when you have no formal commitment, when you're, when you're, you're, you're here, but not really here. Now, we have a number of people here who are, are, are dear saints and, and, and part of our church family who, who, for various reasons, are not members of the church. 
Now, of course, I, I pray and would love to see those, those issues get resolved and, and for people to be able to become members of the church. But we need to not be, none of us, we need to not be consumers in our attitude of the church. Church membership is, is also like a marriage in, in several beautifully positive senses. And, and this is where we really want to focus. It involves a covenant between people who are committed to walking through life together after God's decree. And just like it is in the, in the sense of, of marriage, in it, where it's in holy matrimony, it's to love the church, to comfort her, to honor her, to keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, to keep her only Keep, her, keep you only unto her as long as you both shall live. This is, there's, there's a beautiful parallel in, the, in what we do when we make a covenant together in, to, to join together as husband and wife with what we do when we covenant together in the local church. It's a beautiful picture. And so covenanting together in this, this formal process is, is the best means that we have to signify joining the local church. Now, again, I acknowledge that there is no formal commitment, no formal biblical command, no direct biblical command to take out formal membership. Meeting with church leaders and, and signing a statement of faith and um, joining the church in a members meeting and receiving the right hand of fellowship are not directly commanded in Scripture. But neither is there a direct biblical command for uh, the bride to walk down the aisle and to stand in front of a, a pastor and to make, make those vows in front of the pastor and, and a congregation, put rings on each other's fingers and, and kiss. Again, there's no formal direct biblical command to do that, but it is a, a valuable and it is an important Picture, the best picture we have, I believe, to, to demonstrate that a man and a woman are joining together in holy matrimony. And so this, this principle of, of, of formally becoming a member of the church, of, of covenanting, together, covenanting together in the local church, is a, it's the best picture we have, the best way we have of demonstrating who is a part of the church and who is not. Now, and if you're in a different, different cultural circumstance, in a, in a place like Pakistan, or as we talked about earlier, North Korea, in a place where, where identifying with the church can easily mean torture and prison and death, it's pretty, it's, it's a lot easier to tell who's a part of the church and who's not because the cost is so much greater. And, and so they don't need to have formal membership roles. But even when we go back to the inception of the church, back in, in Acts chapter two, they, they were talking about the number who were added. It was, a, it was a formal understanding of who had joined the church. Everybody knew who was in and who was not. So when we, we formalize the process of, of church membership, of covenanting together, what we're saying is that, that we, we identify together as, as brothers and sisters and, and we're pulling in the same direction. We're pulling in the same direction. 
And again, that's not to say that people who have some different doctrinal views are, are, are not Christians, but they're, they're, some of the distinctions that we have as, as Baptists are unique to, to this church and this direction that we believe the Bible would have us go. And also, like marriage, and, and some would, would perhaps view this as a, as a negative, but I believe this is a positive um, aspect. Uh, in fact, I, I, can, I can show you biblically, this is a very positive aspect of, of marriage and of, of covenanting, together, covenanting together in the church is, is that your sin will be exposed. When you join together as, as husband and wife, and when, when you join together to, to covenant together in the local church, you, you're going to find out pretty quickly that, that you're dealing with another sinner or group of sinners. Now, the easy thing, the, the, the worldly or fleshly thing to do is to, is, to, is to bail, is to get out. But God tells us not to. We're, we're commanded to, to stick with that relationship and, and to let, let the sometimes pain of that relationship be, be a sanctifying effect in our lives. So, so when, we, when we say, you know what? Through thick or thin, I have made a covenant before God to stay with that, that person in marriage. Then in the safety and security of that relationship, God will, will work out your, your, your sanctification and knock off those rough edges. Well, the same holds true in the local church. In the safety and security of a covenant relationship in the local church to say that no matter what happens, I made a commitment before God. I'm a part of this church. And, and I'm going to, to let the sin of, of these people rub off or create, expose my sin, not, hopefully not rub off, but rub off the rough edges. So when we commit to the local church, in the same way we commit to a marriage, we're participating in God's sanctifying process. Mark Dever, in his, in, his, uh, in his excellent book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, says that God intends that the way we love each other in the church will identify us as followers of Christ. Now, now John, in, in his, his first epistle, talks repeatedly about the way that, that loving one another, that you can't say you love God, who you haven't seen, if you don't love your brother who you have. And so by committing to the relationships in the local church, to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're again demonstrating that you're a Christian, that you're part of the body of Christ. Scripture uses all sorts of other metaphors to describe the church. The church is referred to as a kingdom or an army or a building or a flock or a family or a household or the bride of Christ. Now, I like this, this idea of the church being a building because the, the I mean, I like them all, but, but here this idea of a building is, is made up of, if you look at the, the, um, the, the front face here, you can see it's some of the bricks that, that make up this building. You are the bricks that make up the church. You're the bricks that make up the true church. Again, not a physical building, but a spiritual body. 
That was read for us by Luke this morning, the, 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 the testimony of Scripture being, of uh, the church being like a body. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13 says that, for as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. So the church there is, is, is made up of all different body parts. There's a parallel in, in Romans 12. There's feet and ears and, and hands and, and eyes and, and the so-called less presentable parts. But all are parts of the body and, and the parts of the body need each other. You know, there, there was, uh, there's, for, for years they've been, they've been taking out gallbladders and taking out tonsils and, and taking out adenoids and things that they thought were, were not important. But each of those each of those body parts performs a, an important function in the body. Now, there are times when, when a part of the body is diseased with cancer or gangrene and that it's necessary that the church would perform something as, as, as radical as amputation to remove, to remove that 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 sick part so that the rest of the body does not become infected. And really, we'll talk about this in two weeks, but it, it should be, when, when that happens, it should be as painful as the idea of an amputation. Having part of your body cut off because that is spiritually what is exactly what, it, what is being is what is happening. Now, what, what they're really saying is that, again, we do not believe that this person really was a part of the body, and we'll talk again about that in a couple weeks as well, but, but we need to understand that this is a painful but vital process for the health of the local church. Just imagine how, how, how ridiculous it would be for a hand to say to the rest of the body, I don't need you. you know, this dismembered or disbodied hand saying, saying I don't need you. I, I could do my own thing. It's, it's a ridiculous, if not a gruesome picture. You know, I think of the, the Adams family with that little hand <laughs> running around. But that's just not the way it works. This, this, this disbodied, not dismembered, disbodied hand is, is just going to immediately start to rot and decay. The church needs the other parts of the church. The body needs the other parts of the body. And so the way the church functions shows that we are together one body. You know, a few minutes ago I quoted... Uh, Mark Dever, he's the, the teaching elder at, at Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C., and, and he's, he's the one who um, is one of the founders of, of Nine Marks Ministries. I'd, I'd just like, like to read um, their church covenant. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this because this is something that, that we're going to be introducing here uh, in the coming months. We'll talk more about this um, at, our, at our annual general meeting. We're going to be introducing a church covenant. It's going to have some things similar to this. It won't be exactly like this, but it'll be similar. Listen carefully. This is, this is a covenant that the whole church makes together, and it's, it's reaffirmed when, when new people come into membership. We're, they're all reaffirming this covenant. Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. Now hear what the church does and, and, and listen for the unity that's there. We will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully encourage, admonish, and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up as, as may it at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried and baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, we will when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Now, did you hear in that church covenant a phrase that came up again and again? One another or each other. Well, it comes up there again and again because it comes up in the New Testament again and again as well. There are at least 35 different one another commands in the pastoral epistles. Here's just a few. Love one another, Romans 12, 10. Be hospitable to one another, Romans 12, 13. Live in harmony with another, Romans 12, 16. Admonish one another, Romans 15, 14. Care for one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, submit to one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, confess sin to one another, and serve one another. All of those one another commands take place in the context of the local church. Now, unless you have multiple personalities, you cannot practice any of those on your own. You need a body around you in order for, for you to do those things for them and for them to do those things for you. And the first of that, that one another's, the one another commands that are listed is to love one another. And that's really the foundation of the whole thing on, uh, built on the foundation of Jesus and the, the apostles and the prophets. Jesus said in, in Romans 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now just think about that for a moment. We've discussed this many times. But Jesus commands us to love one another as he had loved us. Now you realize that the command to love wasn't new. 
that goes all the way back to the beginning. But the as I loved you part, that was the new part. That was the part that had not seen before, that no one had seen before, the command that we are to love one another as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? By dying for our sins. And beloved, you are called to love one another by dying to yourself as well, following in the footsteps of Jesus. So all of those one other commands are grounded on that. So when we think about what it means to to be a part of the local church and to serve together as members of this local church, that then we are coming together to love one another, to love one another. Now, when we think a little bit more about, about what membership involves and, and what our responsibilities are, most, most churches, especially most Baptist churches that I know of, say that, say that you need to become a member in order to be involved in, in formal ministry. And you know, I, I think they're on the right track with this. At my, my local church in, in, in Louisville, Emmanuel Baptist, you couldn't be on, even be on the counting team unless you'd been a member for six months. You, you couldn't even be involved in counting the offering unless you'd been a member for six months. Now, do you think it would be wise for us to, uh, to allow someone to come in off the street and, and to work in our nursery? No, it, 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 it wouldn't. It could be very dangerous. Well, when we think about, about, about ministry in the church, if we're going to be that careful about, about our money, certainly we should be that careful about our doctrine. We, we need to protect our, our doctrine as vitally important, and, and I would argue in a way that's parallel to the way we want to protect our children. It's vitally important. So, so with formal ministry, with formal church membership, it, it helps us to protect or to, to put boundaries around what is taught in this church. Now, in, the, in Lord willing, in the near future, we're going to be having um, adult Sunday school classes here. And it's really only right that, that if somebody's going to be involved in teaching, that, that their life reflects, the, 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 and their, their doctrine reflects that of, of what the standards and, and statement of faith of this church is. We, we need to protect and to, to stand firm on that doctrine that we have been given so, so just as we, we begin to wrap up here, I just want to just think about some of, uh, some of the key roles that, that take place in the context of the local church. Edification and encouragement. Admonition and accountability. Service and submission. Giving and growing together. Discipleship and Discipline. And these are all rooted and grounded in love. Now, no, you don't have to be a member, a formal member to, to 
practice some of these, but, but others are far more difficult to practice without it. I want to ask each one of us, are you obeying God's commands for you in this local church? Are you lovingly, emotionally, spiritually, prayerfully, financially, and timely invested in this local church? Now, by God's grace, the vast majority of us really are invested here in all of those ways. And as a pastor, it really thrills my heart to, to see people seeking to do these things and to, to grow in these things. But we also need to acknowledge that none of us have arrived when it comes to these things. And that by God's grace, we will continue to grow in each of these areas. So let's just, just quickly examine each of them in turn. Are, are you lovingly invested? Do you love the people here? And I don't just mean that the few people that you talk to every week. I mean, do you love the people here? And imagine a family where we said, well, well, we love grandpa, but we're not so sure about grandma. You know, sadly, that might happen in some families. But may it never be true in the church. Are you emotionally invested? Do you give the church much thought and care through the course of the week? Do you really care deeply about the people in this church and how they're doing and seeking to do everything you can to be able to help them grow spiritually? Are you spiritually invested? Are you laying down spiritual roots, building into others and, and having them build into you? Do, do you care about the spiritual direction of this church? Are you seeking to have a vital role in its spiritual health? Again, this is, for these things, these are all of our responsibilities. This is all of us. Joshua's going to be talking about, about, about church governance and, and, and what it means, to what we believe congregationalism really means and the responsibility that we all have for, for these things. Are you prayerfully invested? Do, do you regularly lift up the needs of, of this body to the Lord on a regular basis? You know, I, I would encourage you to, to have your, your church directory in a prominent place and to, to use it as, not just as a, as a phone number directory, but as a prayer directory. And to make it your regular habit to, to pray for every individual on that list, for every individual who's a part of our local church. And you might find that, that as, you, as you begin to pray for people, you realize, well, I don't even know that person. I don't know what their needs are. And so that you can then make it your, your, your priority to get to know that person. As you pray for them and think, I'm, on Sunday, I'm going to make a point of going and talking to that person. To, to ask them how I can pray for them, how can I be an encouragement? Again, this is part of what it means to be part of the local church. Are you financially invested? Are you contributing to the needs of this body? Are you regularly and intentionally giving from the first of what God has given you, giving it back to the church? Are you, are you timely invested? Now I'm adapting a, a word here. Are you spending time with the church? 
And not, not just for a couple of hours on Sunday. But are you, are you seeking opportunities to meet together with a church, both in, in, in formal times when we come together and also in each other's homes? Now, these things are, are just a sampling of what it means to be part of the local church. And again, many of us are exemplary in, in, in most of these areas, but we all have room to grow. Becoming a member of a local church is not like joining a gym. All kinds of people, gyms make their, make their, their living off this, off people who, who make a, a New Year's resolution. And what are we now? The 14th of January. They paid for a gym membership and they're already not showing up. Joining a church is not like joining a gym. You know, if, if you... Um, if you decide that, that you're going to, going to ignore um, what the gym requires of you and you're not going to submit to the, the rules of the gym, you know, if you're, if you're not wiping down your equipment or if you're walking around the weight room in a, in a towel or, or pushing your way in front of others, your membership will be revoked. And, and they'll take that seriously there as well. But again, the type of, of submission that we're talking about here is, is, is that one another submission, not just submission to, to a set of rules, but, but a mutual submission out of a love for the Lord and for each other and a desire to put each other above ourselves. Jonathan Lehman says that church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of the Christian's discipleship and the Christian submission to living out of his or her, living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. Those elements of affirmation, oversight, and submission are all vital. So understanding who you are as a member of this church will increase your sense of ownership in the church, this community, of its budget, of its goals. It, it will help you from, from moving It'll help you to move from being a pampered consumer to being an active proprietor. Having personal responsibility for, for the direction of the church. It, it can help you to stop arriving late and stop complaining when you don't get exactly what you want. Instead, you're going to arrive early and seek to reach out to others to see how you can serve their needs rather than have your needs met. We almost begin to increasingly view membership less as a loose affiliation, useful only on occasion, and more as a regular responsibility involving one another's lives for the purposes of the gospel. May the Lord build his church in us all. Let's pray together.